Amen. All right, we're there in Numbers chapter number 13. And of course, we've been going through a series in the book of Numbers, a Bible study in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter by chapter through this book. We've called it Wilderness Wanderings. And the reason for that is because of the fact that the book of Numbers uh, holds all the stories of the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. And up until this point, we've been uh, dealing with a lot of preparation uh, for the children of Israel. They've been uh, camped and they've been preparing uh, to cross through the wilderness to enter into the promised land. And uh, we had a lot of chapters where God was preparing them and helping them get organized. We had some stories uh, regarding uh, Miriam and Aaron and, of course, some issues they had with Moses. When we come to chapters 13, tonight, this morning we're going to look at chapter 13, tonight we're going to look at chapter 14. When we come to these two chapters, we really come to a pivotal point in this book and in, in the history of the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, the, the biblical timeline, uh, because this is where everything changes. Up to this point, the plan was that they were to spend about a year camped at the foot of Mount Sinai as they prepared uh, to then cross the wilderness and which that journey should have taken just a few weeks, and they were to enter into the promised land. As a result of what we see in chapter 13 and chapter 14, the children of Israel end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, which was not God's plan, was not His intent, but it is what happened. So I'd like for us to look at this chapter uh, this morning, and there are several applications that we will make several points that I'd like to give you as we get to the end of the chapter, but I'd like to just kind of walk through the beginning of this chapter just by way of introduction to kind of explaining what's going on, giving you the context, making some applications um, as we go. If you notice there in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says this, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. For every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Now, I want you to notice when you read these first three verses, the Bible seems to indicate, or it seems, it, 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 it seems just from a very basic reading of the passage, that this was God's idea. It seems like it was God's idea when we see that the Bible says that the Lord spake unto Moses and that the Lord said, send thou men that they may search the land. And in verse 3 it says, and Moses by the commandment of the Lord sent them. But I want you to notice that as we study the Bible and as we compare spiritual with spiritual, we learn that this was actually not God's idea. In fact, I'd like you to keep your place there in Numbers 13. That's our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, real quickly to the book of Deuteronomy. Just one book over. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. The book of Deuteronomy is a book where pretty much the entire book is a sermon by Moses. It is Moses right before he dies, giving one last sermon, one last speech to the children of Israel. And what he does in the book of Deuteronomy is he, re, he gives them the law the second time. In fact, that's what the word Deuteronomy means, the, the giving of the law a second time. He gives them the law a second time, but he also recaps and, and goes back and retells the story of the children of Israel. So in the book of Numbers, especially number 13, we're at the beginning of 
their 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 1, we're actually at the end. They're, they're getting, Moses is getting ready to die, and he is uh, going to give the reins to Joshua. The children of Israel will enter the promised land. And Moses is recapping and retelling the story of the history of the children of Israel. I want you to notice what he says in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 21. He says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. He's telling them this is what God told them to do 40 years ago in Numbers 13. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Notice verse 22. Notice what Moses says. And ye, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel, and ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. So I want you to notice that in Deuteronomy, Moses tells us that God had told him to go into the promised land, go into the promised land, but actually it was the people that came to Moses and they requested, they made a request. They said, can we send, uh, uh, we will send men before us and they shall search out the land. So this was actually not God's plan or idea that they should send these 12 spies into the land, but it was the idea of the people of Israel. And Moses went along with it. Look at verse 23. And the saying pleased me, Moses said. He said, and the saying pleased me well, and I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe. Now go back to Numbers 13, and you might think, well, why does the Bible then say that the Lord spake and that Uh, that Moses sent them by the commandment of the Lord. And what I believe happened here is that the children of Israel came to Moses and they said, hey, yes, we're going to go into the land, but can we send a group in to spy out the land, to do a little bit of reconnaissance, to kind of get get a lay of the land and figure out what we're dealing with? And Moses said, that that sounds like a good idea. And of course, we know from Moses' prayer life, and we're going to see that in chapter 14, that he was a man that was uh, a prayer warrior, I believe that what happened is that Moses goes to the Lord and he asks, the people want to do this. Can we do this? And what God then says is, well, if you're going to do it, that's fine. You can go ahead and do it. But if you're going to do it, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to send, verse 2, Numbers 13, 2, of every tribe of the fathers shall you send a man. So God was telling them, just make sure you send one man from every tribe, one representative from every tribe, send them into the land to spy out the land. But here's what I want you to understand. The idea of sending a spies or sending 12 spies to spy out the land was not originally God's plan. But what we find is that oftentimes, and this has been a little bit of a theme in the book of Numbers, oftentimes we find that God will allow you to do what you want to do. This was not God's plan. God wanted them to just, just go in the promised land and trust me. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But they said, we trust you, God, but can we check it out first? And God says, all right. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. The worst thing that may happen to you is God allowing you to do what you want to do. Oftentimes we have these ideas. We say, okay, God, we'll do it, but, but can I do this first? And then God doesn't stop it. And then God maybe allows it. And then may, God uh, even says, well, go ahead. If you, if you need to do that, go ahead. And we think, oh, the blessing of God must be upon us. And just realize that it may be in life It may be in life that the things that deter you, the things that cost you, the things that cause you to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and waste time in your life, it may be those things that God never planned, but He allowed. Because sometimes God lets you get your way. And you and I think that's a good thing, but the worst thing that may happen to you is God 
letting you get your way. Go back to Numbers 13, look at verse 4. So we see first this idea of the children of Israel getting their way, sending these spies into the land. Then we see that God says, okay, we'll send 12 men, one man from every tribe. And in verses 4 through 16, we see a list of the names, the men that were chosen to send into the promised land to spy out the land. Look at verse 4. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zachar, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hora. And I want you to notice that earlier in the book, we had a list of the leaders and the rulers of each of the tribes. These names do not match that list. And the reason for that is because these men, though they were leaders, these were not the leader. Obviously, the men that were the main guy who's leading the tribe of Judah, leading the tribe of Simeon, leading the tribe of Ephraim, these are tribes with thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. Obviously, these were probably older men, and these men are younger men. They're still leaders, uh, and they're seen as leaders, but these are younger men that are going to go in to the land, and they're going to do a lot of hiking, and they're going to do a lot of reconnaissance, and they're going to spy out the land. So I want you to notice that these are different men, still leaders and representatives, but obviously because of the mission that they were sent to do, these are uh, younger men. Verse 4, and these are their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zachar, of the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. Of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, the son of Nun. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. Of the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. The, of the tribe of Joseph, namely of the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susi. Of the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. Of the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michal. Of the tribe of Naphtali, Nafbi, the son of Vophshpi. Of the tribe of Gad, Geuel, the son of Machai. Notice verse 16. These are the names of the men. Now, here's what I want you to notice about this list. Twelve names are given. One name is going to be highlighted here in a minute, and it's changed. In verse 16, the Bible says, These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. And here the Bible tells us that Moses renamed this man Oshia to the name Jehoshua, which, of course, later on is referred to as Joshua. And this is, of course, Joshua, the servant of Moses, Joshua, the son of Nun, Joshua, the man who in 40 years will take the reins over for Moses and actually lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And the Bible doesn't really tell us why. We know that in the Bible there is a common theme of names being changed. Abram turns to Abraham and uh, Jacob turns to Israel. Uh, Saul turns to Paul and Simon turns to Peter. There's a common theme throughout the Bible of names being changed. And of course, there's some spiritual applications that we could make there that I won't do at this his time. But here specifically, we're not told why his name changed. His name, Jehoshua, has a lot of meaning. In fact, the name Joshua is the Old Testament version of the New Testament name Jesus, uh, which is why in the book of Acts, you'll read about uh, a story of Jesus doing something that Joshua did in the Old Testament. It's just because the Greek version of the name Joshua is, is Jesus. But we're not really told why his name has changed. We're just told that it is. It goes from Moses just decides. And Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, uh, Jehoshua. I don't know why. Maybe he didn't like the name Oshia. And he said, I'm going to name you Joshua. That'd be like me going to our deacon, Brother Oliver, and saying, I don't like the name Oliver. From now on, your name won't be Ja Oliver. I don't know. Um, it's just, you know, the way 
And maybe, we'll, maybe we will do that. I'm not sure. But we have these names. And here's what I want you, and here's what I want you to understand. And, here, and here's the point. You don't know any of these names except two guys. Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Jehoshua. Caleb and Oshia, the son of Nun, who was renamed Jehoshua. And the reason that you do not know the names of these ten other guys, and you really only know the names if you know the Bible or if you know familiar with the biblical stories, is because of what we're going to see in this chapter. And let me just give you a quick application regarding this, and it's that. That ten men decide that they do not want to risk going into the promised land. Two men said, we can do it, let's go in. And here's a lesson for every, uh, for all of us, but especially maybe some aspiring young men who'd like to do something with their life. Let me tell you something. The way to be a nobody is to attempt nothing. The reason you don't know the, these 10 names is because they weren't willing to attempt anything for God. They did nothing and they ended up being nothing. But in the Bible, the, ma- the names that you know, the people that you recognize, the people that you respect, Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Ruth and Esther and, 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 and the, these characters in the Bible that are well known, it's because they attempted great things for God. So we see here in the story that if you want to be a nothing, do nothing. But if you want to be known for something, then you might have to take some risk and accomplish some things for God. So we see these 12 men are chosen. Ten of them you don't know at all. Two of them you know very well, very well-known characters in the Bible, Caleb and Joshua. Then I want you to notice the mission. We see it's a reconnaissance mission. They were supposed to go in and get information. And notice that's what they did. Look at verse 17, Numbers 13, 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountains. Notice what they're supposed to do. Verse 18. And see. They're supposed to see the land, what it is, and the people. They were supposed to see the land. They were supposed to see the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad. And let me just say this. The reason that I believe that God even allowed them to do this is because having a reconnaissance mission is not necessarily a bad idea. Sending somebody in to just kind of get a lay of the land and figure out, okay, these people live here and these people live there. These people have walled cities and people, these people do not. And here, this is where, what we're getting ourselves into. That is not necessarily uh, a bad idea. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go in and see the land and the people, whether they are strong or weak, few or many. Verse 19, what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage and bring the fruit of the land. They were supposed to bring back things uh, for them to examine. Now the time was the time of first grape. So they were supposed to go in to get a lay of the land, to do a reconnaissance mission, get some information, and come back. Notice how it went. Verse 21. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men came to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahimen and Shishai and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Look at verse 23. And they came unto the brook of Eshkol. And of course, this is where they, they cut down the famous grapes and 
Cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff. So they, they cut down this cluster of grapes, and it's such a large cluster of grapes that the Bible tells us that they bear it, or they bore it, or they carried it between two upon a staff. Two men had to carry it they, on a staff. They carried this cluster, and two men had to carry it. It was such a large cluster of grapes. And this is telling you that this is a land that truly is flowing with milk and honey. It's a fruitful land that God has promised them. And this happens at the book, at the brook Eshkol. And of course, we sing a lot about this. We, uh, maybe next week we'll sing the song, I Want That Mountain. And in that song, we talk about where the milk and honey flows, where the grapes of Eshkol grow. And here he says in verse 24, And the place was called the brook Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So notice they go in. They're, they're there for 40 days doing their reconnaissance mission. And then they come back, verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, up to this point, everything is fine. And what we're going to see is that things are about to break down. Because what these people do is they do something that they were not asked to do. Twelve men were sent in to spy out the land, to get information, to do a reconnaissance mission. They were sent in to be able to look and figure out where are the people, where are the strong, where are the weak, where are the walled cities, where are the non-walled cities. What, get a lay of the land, map out the land, so we have an idea of what we're going to get ourselves into. That's what they were supposed to do. What they ended up doing is they did that, they got the reconnaissance, they got the information, they brought back the information, But with their information, they also gave their opinion. And they decided that it was up to them to tell the children of Israel not only what they saw, but what they thought about it. Not only what they saw, but what they thought in regards to whether we should go into the land or not. And if we rewind a little bit, we remember that that was never a question asked of them. They were never sent into the land to decide whether we should go in or not. The decision had already been made by God, Almighty God. We're going into the land. The the only thing they were to do was to get a lay of the land. But these individuals come back and they give us their opinion. And here's all I would say to you. Be careful about giving your opinion. We live in such an opinionated world today. I blame social media. Social media has, uh, has created this culture where everybody thinks that they need to give their opinion and their opinion matters and their opinion is valuable and you're saying, I can't believe you're saying this. Let me tell you what PBS and Sesame Street failed to tell you. You don't always need to give your two cents. Especially when your two cents are negative. Let me tell you something. We're getting ready to go into that promised land over there. And yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work and and hundreds of thousands of hours probably that need to be done, man hours, when we talk about the amount of men. And and let me tell you this, I appreciate all you men who've gotten behind it and gotten encouraged, but for some of you who may have a differing opinion, hey, just keep it to yourself. Nobody asked your opinion. Nobody asked their opinion. 
Nobody said, hey, you guys go in there, and then afterwards we'll take a vote and decide if we're going to go in. No, they were to go in to find information and bring back the information. Now, when you give back your information, if you want to give some uh, in context or things to that, that's great. But these men decided to take it a step further and give an opinion that they were never asked for. And as a result, they changed, they changed the trajectory of the history of the children of Israel for the next 40 years. The problem is that they were giving their opinion. I'll just say this, be careful about giving your opinion. Often as a pastor, I find myself just thinking to myself, you know, the reason you guys are fighting, the reason that you're arguing, the reason that you're having this problem is this is both of you are just too opinionated. Or both of you men, or both of you ladies, or this couple and that couple, and something, you'd be shocked how much, how, how much conflict you could avoid if you just kept your opinions to yourself. So we have this famous story. When I was a kid, there was a song that we sang about this story. Who's ever heard the song, 12 Men Went to Spy Out Canaan? We don't have Sunday school here, so none of you raise your hand. When I was a kid, we would sing this as a child. We would sing, 12 men went to spy out Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes of clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. And that's what this story is about. It's about 12 men who went to spy out the land. And 12 men, two groups, 10 on one side and two on one side that saw drastically different things. Ten come back fearful. Two come back faithful. Ten come back fearing the giants. Two come back fearing the Lord. What I'd like to do this morning is give you three statements regarding fear that we can learn from this passage. And maybe you can jot these down because here's what I know. All of us fear from time to time. I don't know what you're afraid of, but I know you're probably afraid of something. And you shouldn't be. I'd like to give you some thoughts regarding fear from this passage, and we'll do it as quickly as we can. Up to this point, we've really been in the introduction, and I apologize for that. But let me give you three thoughts regarding fear from this passage. And maybe you can jot these down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. And here's, here's lesson number one regarding fear. Fear only sees the problem. The first statement is this. When it comes to fear, you and I need to understand this, that fear only sees the problem. I want you to notice what they were focusing on. Look at verse 27. These men come back, the ten spies, and they, this is the ten spies, told him, talking to Moses, and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey. They say God was right. It flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And they're pointing to this cluster of grapes from uh, verse 23. They, uh, they, they cut down one cluster of grapes and they bear it between two of them. They bring back the grapes and they say, look, it, it really, it's exactly what God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 28. Here's, here's where their opinion comes in. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the uh, coast of Jordan. I want you to notice where their focus is. Their focus is on the strength of the people, the walls of the city, the size of the people. Notice there's two dissenting opinions, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Look at verse 32. Notice where their focus is. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they searched unto the children of Israel, saying, By the way, let me say this. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 14, and we're going to look at what you should not do when you're given bad news. Because what we see in the next chapter, they brought up an evil report. They brought back bad news. And then we see the response of the children of Israel in chapter 14, how they responded to this evil report, how they responded to this bad news. We're going to learn tonight what not to do when you're given bad news. Look at verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through, uh, through which we have gone to search it is a land, notice how they say it, that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it, now no, notice, notice their focus. All the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants. Notice what they're, they're seeing. Notice what they're focused. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants. Now notice, notice how they see themselves. And we were in our own sight. Now, in a second, they're going to talk about how they perceived that they were seen by these giants. But right now, notice their focus. They're not saying, they're, they're saying, we saw the giants, we saw the giants. Let me tell you how we saw them. We saw them big. We saw them bad. We saw them strong. We saw them mighty. We saw them as giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Notice that their focus is on the problem because fear only sees the problem. Here's what I would say to you. We must stop focusing on our problems. You say, well, if we don't focus on our problems, then what should we focus on? Keep your place there in Numbers 13. Go to Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 14. I think there's a, there's a story in the book of Matthew that kind of highlights this very well. First book in the New Testament. It should be fairly easy to find, Matthew chapter 14. We must stop focusing on our problems. You say, but if we don't focus on our problem, this is what we do as human beings. Whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a difficulty, we tend to want to focus on that. We, want to want, we tend to want to just uh, put all our attention there. We can't stop thinking about it, and we want to obsess over it. And this is what they were doing. When they went there, they weren't, their, their eyes were on the giants and on the, the, the towers and on the walls and the difficulty and how hard it was. And they were, uh, their focus was on the problems. But let me tell you something. If you want to do something for God with your life, you're going to have to go from fear to faith. You're going to have to go the opposite of fear is faith. And these individuals had their focus on their problems. And you and I need to stop focusing on our problems and we need to start focusing on God's power. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I like the phrase. We need to stop telling God how big our problems are and start telling our problems how big our God is. And these individuals were focused on the wrong thing. They were focused on their problems. Let me tell you something. Whenever you focus on the problems, the result will always be fear. 
He said, well, what should we focus on? Focus on God. In Matthew 14, we have this story. You know it, but let's look at it. Matthew 14, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Matthew 4, 25, the famous story of Jesus walking on water. We won't go through the whole thing, but notice verse 28. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Jesus is coming to them, walking on the water, walking on the sea. And after they first, they thought he was a spirit and they had a little conversation with him. And then Peter says, okay, Jesus, if it's really you, then bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, verse 29, come. By the way, let me just say this. If you ever ask God, will you let me do something for you? Will you let me do something great? I mean, this is a great thing. Only two people in human history ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter, for a short time. This was a great thing. Let me tell you something. If you ever ask God, can I do something great for you? The answer will always be this, come. If you ever ask Jesus, can I come close to you? The answer will always be, come. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. And the response is simple, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, verse 29, notice, notice what it says. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. He's walking on water. Verse 30. But when he, don't miss these words, saw. Notice his focus is no longer on Jesus. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little, notice the words, faith. And Peter might say, no, no, it wasn't my faith, it was my fear. It wasn't my lack of faith, is that I was afraid. But Jesus says, no, your lack of faith is fear. And the reason, the reason that he had fear is because he saw, instead of having his focus on Jesus, he saw and his focus was on the wind and on the waves, the wind boisterous, and he was afraid and beginning to sink, and Jesus saves him, and he says, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I don't know what it is that you're facing right now, but whatever you're facing, let me tell you this, fear only sees the problem. And maybe your focus is on the problem. And we need to stop focusing on our problems and we need to start focusing on our God. This is why Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our focus should be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus should be on our God. When our focus is on God, the end result is faith. When our focus is on our problems, the end result is fear. So we see this first lesson, that fear only sees the problem. And that's what we see in this story. Twelve men went to spy out Canaan. Ten were bad. Two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes and clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. So we see this first lesson, that fear only sees the problem. But I'd like you to notice, secondly, if you go back to Numbers 13 and verse 30, not only does fear only see the problem, or fear only sees the problem, lesson number one, lesson number two is this, fear always stops the progress. Now, the problem is not just that fear only sees the problem, because if that's all that fear did, there would be no problem. 
I know in a ministry like this, there are always those who are a little too opinionated and a little too vocal about... It's always interesting to me how people who have had bad opinions or negative opinions are always very vocal, and people that have good opinions often don't say enough. The problem is not that fear only sees the problem, because if that was the only issue, then those of us that are trying to focus on Jesus and have some faith would just ignore those people and move on. The problem with fear is this, that it's not just that fear only sees the problem, but it's that fear always stops the progress. Look at verse 30, Numbers 13 and 30, in verse 30. Here we see Caleb, and Caleb stilled the people. Now, I don't know if this was a surprise to Caleb. I don't know if he knew that this was what's going to happen. I don't know if they spent the last several days on their journey back saying, well, I'm going to tell the people this and I'm going to tell the people that. Or if this caught Caleb by surprise and they got there and then all of a sudden they're just like, no, we can't do this. But the Bible tells us that Caleb did not just stand there and allow this to happen. He, he decided we've got to do something. And the Bible says that Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, notice what he says. I like this. Caleb, by the way, I'm going to do a whole sermon about the spirit of Caleb next Sunday morning. And I encourage you to be here for that. What we know about Caleb is this, that he was a man of action. We see him 40 years later as an 80-something-year-old man. And, and, uh, and he's, saying, he's saying, give me that mountain. And here he says, let us go up at once, immediately, and possess it. I want you to notice this. This is how faith speaks. For we are well able to overcome it. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. Notice what Caleb says. Notice what faith says. For we are well able to overcome it. Verse 31. But the men... The bad guys, the ten guys that went up with him said, notice what they said. Here's what Caleb says. Here's what faith said, verse 30. We are well able to overcome it. Here's what fear says. The ten spies that were fearful and afraid, they said, we be not able to go up against the people. Caleb says, we are well able. They say, we are not able. Caleb said, let's keep going. Let's do what God called us to do. Let's do what we set out to do. But I want you to notice that fear not only sees the problem, but fear always stops the progress. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And I can tell you something, just for me personally, I get sick and tired of people telling us what we cannot do. And just, just, I love you, and God bless you, and I'm for you, but just know something about your pastor. One of my pet peeves is people telling me what we can't do. My whole life, people have been telling me what we can't do. This whole ministry, people have been telling me what we can't do. You can't start a church that preaches the Bible the way you preach the Bible. You can't start a church with the old hymns and think that crowds are going to show up. You can't, you can't do this. You can't. You'll never be starting a living room. You'll never have a real building. You'll never outgrow the living room. And we get a building. Well, you'll never get a, a, a real, a, a big building. Well, you'll never purchase a building. You'll never have problems. You'll never do this. You'll never do that. Hey, let me tell you something. Faith says we are well able to. Because if God before us, who can be against us? But fear says we be not able to. I often tell our staff, don't, don't come to me with just problems. Come to me with problems and brainstorm two or three solutions. I can't stand it if people are like, well, here's, we can't, can't be done, can't be done. 
hey, we are well able to. Fear says we be not able to. Let me give you another story, show you another story just as an example. Go, go to 1 Samuel, if you would. You're there in Numbers. You go past Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 17. I realize we've been looking at this story of David and Goliath a lot lately. I don't know. The Lord just is laying it on my heart. But it, 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 it goes well with this story because what the men are afraid of is giants. And the story of David and Goliath is a story of a young man facing a giant. But I want you to understand something that fear paralyzes you. It will stop you. 1 Samuel 17, 4. Here's the story. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. That's over nine feet tall. Look at verse 8. And he, Goliath, stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out as... Uh, to set your battle in array. And the, the idea there, he's asking them, why have you arranged your troops as though we're going to go to battle? Am not I a Philistine and ye the servants of Saul? He says, choose you out a man for you and let him come down to me. So here we have the champion. By the way, that's the only time that word is used in the Bible and it's about Goliath. So just be careful about, you know, when, you, when your team wins the whatever, you sing in your little We Are the Champion song. The, he... We have the champion, and then he gives this challenge. Choose your man for you, and let him come down to me. Verse nine: If ye be able to fight with, if he be able to fight with me. Notice the the question is always: Are we able to? Caleb said, "We are well able to." The ten spies said, "We be not able to." Goliath said, "Verse nine, verse nine, First Samuel seventeen nine. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we serve your servant? Uh, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us." Verse ten. And the Philistine said, "I defy." The word defy means I openly shame you. I defy the armies of Israel this day. And then he really, I mean, these are really fighting words. He's really embarrassing them. Give me a man. <laughs> He's talking to a whole army. He says, don't you have at least one man? Give me a man that we may fight together. He said, what was their focus on? Literally, their focus was on a giant. Six cubits and a span. Notice that fear paralyzes. Verse 11 when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. They, the, the word dismayed means that they, were, they had lost hope. They were hopeless. They saw the situation as hopeless. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They had no hope because they were afraid of possible hurt. And oftentimes in our lives, the magnitude of Goliath is how we see our problems. So you see that faith paralyzes you. It stops you in your tracks. But notice that faith, excuse me, fear paralyzes you. I want you to notice that faith propels you. Faith will push you forward. These men, were they were soldiers. That's the, their whole job was to fight, to defend the nation of Israel, and they're afraid. 
uh, Goliath says, give me a man. I just need a man. Give me a man that we may fight. And they were dismayed and greatly afraid. But notice the guy that steps up. You know the story. 1 Samuel 17. Look at verse 46. Notice what David says. Notice where David's focus is. Notice what David is focusing on. He's not focusing on the giant. He's focusing on his God. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee, this is David speaking to Goliath, and take thine head from, from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. Notice what he says. Notice where his focus is. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. I just want you to understand this, that fear paralyzes you, while faith propels you, because fear only sees the problem, and that's not it, that would be enough, and we would probably let it be, but the problem is that fear always stops the progress, and I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, go back to Deuteronomy if you would, not only do we see lesson one, fear only sees the problem, not only do we see lesson two, fear always stops the progress. But I want you to notice lesson three, fear also spreads to people. Not only sees the problem, not, always, not, not only does it always stop the progress, but it also spreads to other people. <coughs> We're going to look at chapter 14 tonight, but I just want you to look at the first verse of Numbers chapter 14. Notice what the Bible says. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. Now tonight, tonight we're going to talk about what to do when you get an evil report. What not to do when you get bad news. But I want you to notice that one thing that happened was that these individuals, with their bad attitude and their negative disposition, with their opinion that was never asked, influenced the rest. Because fear only sees the problem, and fear always stops the progress, and fear also spreads to other people. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. The people wept that night. I want you to notice that their fear spread. And here's what you need to understand. Fear spreads. It spreads to others. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Let me give you an example of this. Deuteronomy chapter 20. And look at verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse number 1. In Deuteronomy 20, there's a lot of things that... I could say, and I won't take the time to go, go through it, but this is instructions that God is giving to the children of Israel through Moses, Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1. And it's specifically regarding when they go to battle. When thou goest to battle against thine enemies, and notice, God understands we're human flesh, and seest horses and chariots and people more than thou, the priests are speaking here to the people. He said, they say to them, Be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee. 
which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because, I mean, how many ways is he going to say it? Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. Verse 4. Why? Here's why. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Now he goes on and the priests go on to give instructions about people that should not go to war. And some of these things make sense. He said, if, if you just got married, we, you know, go home. If you just got married, we don't want you, if you, we don't want you to die on the battlefield and, and, and not be able to enjoy your new marriage. So they send newlyweds home. They also said, if you just bought a field or just started a business, go, go home. They, there's some reasons why they send some people home. But I want you to notice in verse 8, the priest sent some people home. But then in verse 8, the Bible says, now the priests are done speaking. And in verse 8, the Bible says this, and the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say. So now the officers, the soldiers, they say something interesting. After they sent the guys that just got married home, after they sent the guys that just started business home, they said, look, we don't want you guys to die in battle. Go, there'll be other battles for you to fight. You can die another day. But for now, go home and enjoy your wife, or go home and, and, and do that business, you know, uh, get that ground going. After that happens in verse 8, then the Bible says, And the officer shall speak further unto the people and shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house. Now what's interesting is that we actually saw, we see this story, this command played out in the story of Gideon. If you remember the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, he's got... 32,000 men or whatever the number is um, versus a vast majority of, of, of the enemy. And he tells the people, if you're afraid, go. And 22,000 of them go home. And, what, and the reason he does that is because God told him to do it, but God told him to do it right here. The captains speak further, they speak further unto the people, and they shall say, what man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? They're literally getting ready to go into battle. And they said, look, if you are fearful and faint-hearted, let him go home and return unto his house. Why did he do this? Here's why. Lest his brethren's heart faint, as well as his heart. Because let me tell you something. Fear spreads. They said, we'd rather go into battle with less guys who are not afraid than more guys while some of them are afraid, because here's what they understood. They understood that fear spreads. They said, just go home. Go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. So here's, here's the application for you. Don't spread fear. Say, Pastor, I'm afraid. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to get done. I don't know how we're going to accomplish it. I don't know. Look, I don't know what it is that you're fighting and what giant you're fighting in your life right now and what it is that you might be afraid. But let me tell you something. Don't spread fear. Amen. Don't spread it. And if you're on the other side, let me say it this way. Don't catch fear. Be Caleb. Next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about the spirit of Caleb. 
Caleb not only did not catch fear, he fought against it with faith. I usually like to end the sermon on some sort of an encouraging note, some sort of a high note. But unfortunately, the story doesn't have it. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Tonight, we're going to look at the response. In chapter 14, we see the response of the bad news. We see the way that the children of Israel responded. We see the way that Moses and Aaron responded. We see the way that Joshua and Caleb responded, although we're going to cover that next Sunday morning. And we see the way that God responded. Now, I want to encourage you to be back tonight because we're going to look at that and we're going to see what we should not do when we get an evil report like the children of Israel. We're going to see what we should do when we get an evil report like Moses and Aaron. And we're going to see what God may do depending on how you respond to the evil reports in your life. But there's no good ending to this. Because the way it ends is God commands the children of Israel to turn around. They were at the border of the promised land, at the border of God's perfect will for their life. And God said, turn around. You're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And that may be your life. And that may be my life. Because 12 men went to spy out Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes and clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. Here's the question for you. Which one are you? Full of fear or full of faith? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these passages of Scripture. And even these negative stories, no happy endings, can be a warning to us. Lord, help us to be people that are full of faith, And if we fear, if we have a negative opinion, let us take that to you and not spread it to others. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. First of all, I'd, I'd love for you to come back next week. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 14. We're going to be in chapter 14 tonight.